Does anyone uh, have anything they would like to dedicate this episode to? Kicking ass. <laughs> and chewing bubblegum. It is going to be, yeah. Podcast mood always kind of follows the last game. Right. So. And Nathan McKinnon is all out of gum. Sackett fakes it, takes it, scores! Joe Sackett wins! Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're logged into Burgundy Radio for January 1st, 2018. Coming up on the show, little injuries here and there creating opportunities. Actually, good goaltending happened, and everything else from a very busy two weeks in Avalanche Hockey. But before we put the whoosh, your disembodied voices of the week. It's the usual cabal of miscreants. Hello to you, Earl. Happy New Year, everyone. And hello to you, Jackie. Greetings. And hello to you, Rudo. I swear I'm not hungover. Since we last spoke, Avs win 4-2 over the Pittsburgh Penguins, lose 2-1 to the Los Angeles Kings, and then right before Christmas, Avs win 6-2 over the Phoenix Coyotes, which is a game they took over after Zach Ronaldo laid a good open ice on open ice hit. He didn't lay any ice. He laid a good open ice hit on Nathan McKinnon. And for some reason thought Sam Girard flying by wanted to fight him. And one hit Girard. So Ronaldo got a match penalty and a six-game suspension. So let's start with that. How do you feel about that suspension? And I want to go last year, but let's try to keep it brief because that was a while ago. I think it's a poor message from the league that it's only six games, but it's not a huge deal. Um, you know, I, I mean, in my mind, I think he should have gotten 20, but, um, you know, th- there are incorrigibles and I don't think they really know how to, to curb that. So six games is whatever. Yeah. If it wasn't Zach Ronaldo, I think I'd be happy with six. Um, but given his history, I wanted 10, but I, I don't think it's that big a deal. I think six was all right. I kind of see it both ways. One that. Anything that's over five to the league is like a big deal because that's kind of the magic number where they can appeal and blah, blah, blah. So he got over the line of five, so that's supposedly a message. But then when you kind of think about Landeskog had a four-game suspension, you kind of say, was that really in the same ballpark? And doesn't feel so good. But, I mean, what can you do? The guy got suspended... He's going to come back and play anyway. Does it really matter if it's 6, 10, 15? It's all about the message, and it's kind of a lukewarm lukewarm message on the suspension, but it is what it is. Because my my take is very similar to what you had in the middle there, which is that Gabe Landeskog got four games for cross-checking a guy in the face that he wasn't even looking at. And uh, what the league termed a punch to an unsuspecting opponent got two more games than that. It was 50% worse. Like, really? Uh, like, if if, if Landeskog had gotten a game or two out of that, then sh- then I would be a little bit... It, would ta- it wouldn't taste as bad for Ronaldo to have six instead of the ten that Ruto wanted, and I would have been happy with as well. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's kind of seven. He did get a match penalty. But this should have been double digits, and I th- I think it's uh, very telling that the uh, 
most of hockey Twitter was like, really? You only gave them six? Like, if everyone thinks that your team is getting owned, they probably got owned. So anyway, the next game was a classic letdown game that played out exactly as expected as the Avs lose 3-1 to the Coyotes. Miko Rantanen, your only goal scorer in that one. Then, on Friday, Avs win a fun win in overtime, 4-3 over the Toronto Maple Leafs, with JT Confer putting home the game winner on the power play. Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantanen, and Alexander Kerfoot scored your other three. And honestly, despite giving up three, and despite me being hard on the guy lately, I thought Varlamov was good in this game. He had one VHS fail, and then the rest was some bad luck. Then finally on Sunday, Avs beat the pants off the New York Islanders 6-1 on the back of the single best period of hockey this group has played maybe ever. The captain scored twice with extra goals from Patrick Nemeth of all people, Carl Soderberg, Matt Nieto, and Eric Johnson. So, would anyone like to break that one down for us? That was a fun game. Yeah, I think they both were. Um, I, just going back to the Toronto game, that's... I, I think that was really fun just because you had sort of two of your known skill players scoring and then a couple of the rookies that you hope will sort of grow into that role scoring. Um, that's something you wanted to see, and, and they kept up with a really good team. Um, <clears throat> last night, I just I don't have words for the second period. It was You're just watching it, and uh, I mean, I, the numbers from it are, are incredible. I mean, 18 scoring chances, 12 high-danger scoring chances. I mean, that's stuff they don't even get in a whole game a lot of the time. Didn't they get, like, 22 I, shots or something? 23, yeah. 23, yeah. When's the last time this team put up a 23-shot period? You had it happen Never. <laughs> yeah, it, it was... I feel like that... It was kind of like looking in a mirror for playing the Islanders. Because the Avs played great. I'm full credit to them. But the Islanders were incredibly sloppy with the puck all night long, and the Avs have trained me that when I tune in, I expect pucky puck sloppiness from them. But instead, not only were the Islanders sloppy, but the Avs were capitalizing on it, and that's the big next step for me. The Avs have been generating offense well, if you throw out that one Arizona game. They've been getting the chances, they just haven't been finishing them, and in this one they did. I feel like there was kind of a lot of little things happening in the Islanders game. I I think the Islanders, they like to play a more of an open style. And I think that fed right into the Avs' hands. And like you said, they finally did something with kind of the opportunity that the other team was giving them. So to me, it wasn't so much sloppiness. It's just that the Islanders kind of opened up the ice, but then the Avs just took it and, and then kind of ran with it before the Islanders could really do anything about it. So I think then kind of having that open ice and letting the Avs kind of play more aggressive and dictate the pace and use their skill and their skating. And you're kind of seeing that, that identity that they keep talking about that when they play well, they play this kind of game. So that was one yeah. thing that was happening. And then, and then obviously this, how Soderbergh was playing, I think he kind of really set the tone, but everyone played well. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. I think the Avs do play much better against teams who like that open style of hockey where it's up and down. Um, the Soderbergh line was ridiculous. I mean, if Soderbergh can play like that even half the time, then he might actually be worth his contract. That has to be the best game that we've seen him play. 
I know. Yeah, I have to. <clears throat> I have to wonder bias, whether. But... Yeah, I I have to wonder whether that kind of forecheck that they were running, because it's it sort of built within the period. They, um, they weren't allowing the Islanders to exit the zone, and and I'm talking about the whole Soderberg line there, and it just built and built, and they <clears throat> they really went for it. They they went with a two deep forecheck, and they just you know. It's a thou shalt not pass situation, and it really worked well. Um, and and I just wonder whether that was something that the coaching staff said, "Hey, you know, these guys are looking a little not so sharp. Maybe we should go with a, a really aggressive forecheck." And those were the, you know, that was the right line to do it with. Um, because I think if the Avs really do get their forecheck going like that, they can do that to a lot of different kinds of teams, not just the ones that want to run. But we do see them struggle against the teams that are not so much up and down the ice. Like, we see them struggle to get things going against the Kings, against the Coyotes when they're not on a five-minute power play. You know, like, it's just, it's tough for them when the neutral zone is not free reign for everybody. Yeah, and that's the next step, is, is when you're able to dictate that they're going to play that open style, whether the other team acquiesces or not. Right, you know, when the other team does, Colorado will look good. I don't. Yeah. I don't even know if I would say they struggled. They struggled to play that style of hockey they wanted, but really, for 50 minutes against the Kings, they played right with the Kings in that lockdown style. They had no problem limiting the Kings as well. So it was actually yeah. nice to see. Yeah, they they tend to do okay in those really tight games, like you said, against the Kings. Or they have the problem is like the game against like Vegas and teams like that 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 play the really structured and and stifling, but not maybe. I mean, like I think physical way the Kings play because they could play physical if they want to. When you look, the at Kings the are a lot more open this year than they have been in the past. They're not, you know, sort of the Sutter just lock it down, dump and chase, and and. Killy with a forecheck. They're they're more of a skating team than they have been in years. But I think but, you're definitely right. It's the Devils and Vegas and teams like that that just lock down the neutral zone that they really struggle with. But I I mean I think a lot of it is still an experience too. Because with Toronto, through the first period, the first fifteen minutes of the first period, they'd given him like two shots on goal and had completely yeah. shut them down defensively. But once they get that lead I don't know, you know, they don't really keep up that same kind of energy level or they the other team starts overcoming what they're doing in the defensive zone and they seem to struggle to maintain a lead. How yeah. often do the Avalanche get a lead and then player usage changes dramatically? That's true, yeah. Yeah, I think they went too conservative in that Toronto game to try to, to, try to lock it down and then also... From what I recall, it was the bottom lines for Toronto that that started kind of making the difference rather than their top lines. So that kind of can become an issue when still our bottom guys can get overwhelmed by another team making a push. But, you know, it was tough to give up that goal at the end, but having that moment of them winning in overtime pretty much made up for it. It was worth giving away a point to an Eastern Conference team to kind of have that that finishing moment rather than just like turtling to a win, I guess you could say. 
Yeah, they still pulled it yeah, out I mean, before overtime ended, so they still got their row. And uh, who cares if Toronto gets a point? Doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, when the other team is skilled and they they're on a six v five situation, I mean, it's 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 not exactly luck, but you know, if you do make it through that, it's it's not entirely skill either. I mean, it's that's that's incredibly tough to to shut down a team that really wants to score and they don't have their goalie in. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a pretty good goal, and it was a, from from Van Riemsdyk, and it was a goal that just barely went in. So I mean, yeah. There, there wasn't just a whole lot more that could have been done about that. Sometimes you just get beat. It happens. Other teams are good, too. And it wasn't a 10-minute turtle. I mean, that was like three minutes. I mean, you'd pretty much expect that. Yeah, I mean, that's not necessarily turtling so much as the other team is just going full out at you. Yeah, yeah I mean, the goal itself, I don't have any problem with. That's going to happen sometimes. You can get into a conversation about consistently putting players like Patrick Nemeth out there and suddenly the Avs can't ever clear the puck, but... Yeah, I think the player usage was maybe a touch too conservative than it needed to be in that game. Yeah. In the third period. I I agree. Um, But, you know, I I can see also that you don't want to put the guys that are maybe a little more risky but could, could... possibly really help you in getting the puck out of the zone. I mean, that's that's just really tough for a coach that's in the moment to make a decision on. I wish you would, though. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, it's a trust thing. I mean, you know, sooner or later, uh, you know, you're going to have, you know, let, let's just say Gerard and, and others uh, gain the, the trust of the staff and, you know, be out there in those situations and maybe... You know, that that turtle doesn't need to happen. It seems to kind of go back and forth, because I remember when Gerard was playing a lot, he was put in those situations. And, like, I go back to in that Winnipeg game after they just tied it, and they were in the D zone. They had all the kids in the D zone with a minute left. Like, they could have given up the game and, and blown getting a point right then and there. So it does seem to kind of... It it doesn't feel as consistent. Like, yeah, you totally understand that the coach is there to win, and when he sees a win at the end of the tunnel, he's going to do what he needs to do to secure that. But I think even understanding that, there's been a kind of some odd decisions in there. But I mean, in retrospect from last year, we're not seeing Francois Beauchemin out there for the last four minutes of games like that either. So, right. And if you want to put Nemeth into the Beauchemin role... He's playing a lot, yeah, but he's not like stuck out there and staying. So, well, yeah, I mean maybe. they're they're getting better. Yeah. I think they've they've gotten better in a lot of areas this year. There's still other things that we can complain about, but but yeah, overall there's there's definitely some refreshed thinking, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, marked improvement for sure. Yeah, but there, there's still games, like, I can't remember which game this was, but I've got one in mind specifically where the, the Jost line, I think it was, was just the Avs' best line in the first period. Like, and then, it yeah, wasn't I... close. And then Colorado, I, Colorado may have gotten a lead, or or they may have not, I don't really remember, but by the end of the game, that line never saw the ice, just because the, the coaching staff won't put them out. I, I, th- I almost want to say it was the Pittsburgh game, maybe? maybe? But yeah, but I know what you're talking about. It was like, well, yeah, the line was working, and then 
and then they kind of lock it down and a little too much in the third period when we start to right. see they were the turtle away the best possession line for the avalanche and the best way to limit the other team from scoring is to not give them the puck but yeah. instead they decide to put out their defense first guys who don't possess the puck they limit shot opportunities i guess but it just it's kind of there's a disconnect where having the puck means the other team isn't playing offense but our defensive guys don't play to have the puck and not that i don't believe in that but it, the, to be a devil's advocate here you know as the game goes on and the other team wants to score more Sometimes that's just a little much for some of the younger players or, you know, whether that's true or not, I, I, I don't completely disagree with that thinking because there are times when I've seen Joe start out a game well and as, as time goes on, he gets a little, <clears throat> I don't know, it just the, the quality uh, and the con- consistency isn't there throughout the whole 60 minutes. So, I mean, I, I can see them being a little bit apprehensive about putting out some of the rookies later in games. Sure. And, <clears throat> excuse me, at risk of putting us uh, talking in circles here, how are those guys going to get the experience to become consistent in those situations? Right. And, you know, that it's, it's, easy, it's easy to say that it's, you know, that, that they shouldn't, you know, put them in really tough situations all the time. But, you know, if they're going to gain the trust of the staff, you have to do that. Maybe not every night, but, you know, sometimes. And you take a little from it. You watch video with them. You say, like, this is, you know, maybe some place where you weren't doing something right. And then maybe next time they're a little better. And then by the end of the season, you can put that line out and, and be fine with it late in the game. And I can understand, too, when the coach sees there's 10 minutes left and they're that close to winning, you know, you can understand the default a little bit, but but there's also the guys like Nemeth and, and some of the defensive guys. They get overwhelmed, too, though. Like Lindholm, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily put him out as the the defensive rock in those situations, but, you know, it's it's learning. It's a learning experience for all of them. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and, yeah. and sometimes the best, like sometimes the coach's hand eventually finds itself being forced, and he has to put players in situations that he's not comfortable doing because the people that he wants to play aren't in the lineup, like Tyson Berry, who blocked a shot with his wrist area, and is out for what was it, four to six weeks? Yep. Yeah, they're thinking he'll be back sort of at the end of January if all goes well. And then. JT Comfer, who's got an injured question mark and should be back on the 13th, which is a specific date, but it's after a six-day bye week. Yeah, I mean, if we don't know theoretically how soon he could be back if he had to be, but he's definitely missing this week's games. Mm-hmm. Which I'll give him credit for at least being upfront about that and not just saying, well, he's day-to-day or whatever. I mean, it's nice to know he's not going to play this week. They're targeting that date, and we'll we'll see what happens. And I mean, we, we don't know exactly. Yeah, we we don't know exactly what's wrong with Comfer, but he was seen going into the X-ray room, so probably bones are a little more uh, predictable than joint pain or you know anything like that. 
Yeah, and, and sometimes yeah. you've just got a really rough bone bruise that makes it really hard to use a joint, so... Yeah. Give it a few days, yeah, and it it'll sound- be better on its own. It sounded like whatever it was they recommended him not play two weeks. It's kind of kind of what I'm gathering how how they kind of arrived at that target date for the Dallas game. And then there's Sven Andergetto, who against uh, the Islanders took kind of a low-ish, late-ish, probably fine hit that sent him kind of awkwardly knee-first into the boards, and he hasn't been seen since, and we don't have any update on him today that I can see, so, oh boy. Yeah, that's a toughie. Yeah, I could see that go either way. I could just see it where it's not a big deal, or or he could miss some time with that. And, and yeah, we're definitely waiting to see, because if he can't play, they will need another forward. Because, I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's a real stinger. You hit your kneecap straight on, like, you're straight on like that. Whether you're hurt or not, that hurts real bad. Yeah. That was sort of reminiscent of the of uh, Jost going into the boards really early this season. Yeah, it was. I kind of feel like if he was okay, though, maybe that would have been reported somehow by now. So yeah, I do feel kind of curious about that one. It wouldn't have been. We'll yeah. have an update on Monday, and then no one actually reports anything. So well, it is a holiday. <laughs> But you know what I mean, like, usually yeah. Dater will just tweet, like, you know, hearing it's fine or whatever, but yeah, maybe maybe uh, no one in the team has said anything. Maybe all the doctors so. are on break. <laughs> I think they needed another, yeah, that's true, too. Maybe they won't wake up for another hour and a half. Exactly. The doctors are all hung over like Rudo. <laughs> <laughs> I think they needed another forward anyway with Comfer out. I think that would have been the perfect time to say, hey, we we already know he's not going to play for a week. This is the time you bring somebody up for a week. You know there's there's no travel. There's going to be a couple practices, three games. You know, why give those minutes to Gabriel Bork? He's been fine. You know, he's a 13th forward. It's fine if he dresses. It's not about him. It's about this is an opportunity for a whole week of NHL time, NHL minutes, that this is this is kind of like what you use development for. It feels well, like it's not just that. an easy it's... slot in too, right? Like, yeah. Toninato can be called up and fill that defensive energy role part of Confer's game. He probably doesn't bring the offense, but you are, you're expecting not the full replacement when you have a call-up. Yeah, I mean Toninata or Greer. I could I could see either and at this I point. I think Greer probably deserves the call up more, but Tony Nato is just a more streamlined replacement. Well yeah, it depends um, how you want to construct the lines, I guess, too, but um you know, Greer's been down in the AHL longer than Tony Nato. He'd probably be my pick at this point, but I wouldn't complain between the two, that's for sure. I but I think this when we complain about them not calling people up and using their opportunity, it's, 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 it's situations like this right now that's, like, what we complain about. It seems like when they get in the middle of the season, they just kind of, I don't know, they, like, forget that they can do these things. And instead they play Yak in 7D. And sorry yeah, well, to keep interrupting you, Jackie. I kept thinking you were done. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm done now. I'm done now. Well, I, I think part of that is what we've seen is that, you know, they, they won't play someone that, that hasn't practiced. Um, 
and the way you get practice is to call someone up in time such that they can practice before they're needed in a game. Um, <clears throat> and I realized, you know, with the, the way the schedule is sort of right leading into the bye week, they play a lot, not a lot of practices. But, you know, they, they need to have guys that they can call up and are available right away when, you know, you're facing playing 11 forwards because that's all you got. So that, that's why sort of preemptive call-ups makes a little bit more sense than right. what we're seeing. But I can see, like, if, all right, if they think Confer's only missing three games, they're like, well, this guy can't practice before Confer's coming back, so why even call someone up? I don't know. I mean, it just... Well, I mean, it's sort of a vicious com- circle if you if you put yourself in this situation where you can't play someone even when you call them up. I want they them to know bring they're... up Toninato because if he plays well enough, then it makes it very easy for him to stay when Comfort comes back and for Bork to go away. Yeah, that would be nice too. But I mean, they they're not even traveling, so they know they're going to have a couple practices this week. And yeah. And Greer and Tonato have been here. They've they have practiced. They have played. So it's not like they're bringing up someone completely fresh. And so that's they, that's the disconnect for me. If you want your players to practice in the system before you play them, why haven't we seen spot call ups consistently all year with getting a guy up, getting him a practice with the big squad? Maybe he's scratched for the game or whatever, and you send him back. But we're just not using our call ups at all. Yeah, it's not like they're they've got a full roster either. I mean, it's like they've been playing with a twenty-two man roster a lot. Um, so you can and then do it's things twenty-one, like that. and then it's twenty-one after Barry was put on IR. Right. And this is all not even you know it, it's going to become a moot point if Andrew Ghetto's injured because then they have to do something. But hey, at least but, they didn't call up Chris Butler like Roto World thinks. <laughs> yeah, big shock they called it Miranov. I mean, who saw that one coming? And, and apart from a couple of obvious things, he wasn't terrible. Yeah, he was alright. Yeah. M- maybe don't take out your goaltender. Who, who I realized like 10 minutes into the he game. He didn't try. Was, was Jonathan Bernier. Didn't that I, happen one one time when he was up earlier? Probably. Didn't we want to do that before? Probably. Yeah. Now, granted, I was traveling yesterday, so I didn't have a chance to like keep up with the news. I was driving a car. But did I miss why Bernier started against the uh, Islanders? No. Reasons. <laughs> I mean, that's not that he played badly. He was fine. He he was fine. Well, it's weird because the day before the Avs had an article on their site saying Varley was going to start too. So I don't, you know, maybe you know. I know a couple of the Rampage guys are sick, so maybe Varley was feeling a little under the weather or something like that. So maybe you know, I don't could have so... been something like that. But it, it was something, you know, unless the website people were totally off base which is, it's totally possible but um, no there's a Bernier. video with bedner and he said it oh okay i don't know uh, because we there? consistently play the veterans in these clutch situations right the the message they're sending is they want to win games and that they think they're in the playoff hunt well how, maybe the thinking was like starting bernier align with that because it takes one look at their stats page to go, okay, Barley gives them a better chance to win than Bernier every night. 
Right. And and Varley's supposed to be your starter, and right now they're on a pace to play like fifty one thirty one. And yeah. and that's that's not a starter backup, that's a tandem. I mean they they wanted to hit fifty five with Varley at the start of the season, so it's not that far off. But I mean the only thing I can think of is they were saying you know, if we win the Toronto game, then then maybe Bernier is in play for the Islanders game. And they made the decision after they made that video that that, that was going to happen. But it still doesn't justify why it happened in the first place. It's just strange. I mean, this this part of the schedule is the like this is the last time when they don't have three games every four days for two months. Like you, if you're going to give your starter games, now's the time because he's going to need his rest later. Yeah. But now, all right, now he's going to be super rested for the jets game, which you really want to win because it's a divisional game rather than an interconference game. I don't know. I mean, there, there's a little bit of justification, but still, I, I would, don't would know. Farley rather be more rested or yeah, would he rather be more right. grooving? I mean, some, I don't know. Funky, those guys that gets I'm rolled. just saying what they may have thought, not what I think. Yeah. <laughs> I would have played Varley. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> it, I mean, it does seem like the whole goalie thing, like there was always a little bit of tinfoil hat with all this, which is, you know, maybe it doesn't even go that deep, but it is curious because if they were planning it out and they were thinking these logical things of you want to give Bernie a start and this and that, and but they had said that Varley was going to play, so that makes you wonder. So yeah, like in a vacuum, it's not that big of a deal that Bernier started because it had been a while. But then, then you think about like what had they announced it, but then they also went on this speech about how Varley's finally in a groove, blah, blah, blah. He's our starter. We're going to ride him. And then, because I seriously think they had just given that, that, that spiel like two days ago. So it maybe it was just something where he didn't, he didn't feel great or, or Perkula said that a day of rest would probably be helpful for him. Maybe it's, it's really not like a thing, but it does seem like this comes up a lot. Kind of like, what exactly are they doing with, with the goalie situation? Yeah, and, and m- most most fans of most teams don't sit there and go, why are you starting your backup tonight? The backup has to play sometimes, but the thing is, as we watch this team start their, their number two goaltender often. Like, often. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense why it's so often. Well, I mean, it sort of does now. Just <clears throat> I, You know, we all know how bad the schedule is going to get, you know, once this bye week's over. So, you know, maybe there's such a thing as cumulative rest. I don't know. Um, you know, I mean, that's a you know that that's something that's sort of in the head of of Parkila and the staff. So, you know, that could be part of it. I mean, if <clears throat> you know, maybe Bernier plays on against uh, Columbus too. I mean, it's just you know, maybe they're going to alternate going into the bye, and then after, you know, Varley plays more when they're playing every other night for the rest of the season. Who knows. But anyway, um, I guess we'll see moving moving on whether the whether the team calls up a forward or whether we just see Yak slot in and seven D play. Yeah. So I went to NHL.com today. I, I know. Ouch. And, and I discovered that the number five scorer in the NHL is a three way tie. That's between, that's between Claude Giroux and 
Is it Jacob Voracek or is it Jakob Voracek? I think it's I, just Jake. I can I can never tell which of those European guys are pronouncing their names in a European way because they go back and forth. You know, they can't make up their mind. And then your boy Nathan McKinnon. When did that happen? That is pretty crazy. Up lately. He had He's three points. Assist too. He had three points last night, and it's not even like a rare occurrence anymore. Was he, he might was he might have one a couple of three stars? Yeah. Was he? Yeah. yeah. Second star, yeah. Of course, there were so many stars in in that game last night that it was pretty easy to be like, "Boy, that guy should have gotten a star." Like Bernier was very slighted. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone was a star last night. I mean, Bernia was first star until that goal happened. Yeah. <laughs> and then he was off the chart. Then he was gone. <laughs> You're off the yep. So Soderberg should have been given the first star. I mean, played probably the best game of his career last night. Yeah. And he was he was stupendous, but Nathan McKinnon Me- putting up two and three point games is like it's nothing ever since the start of was it November? Is that the Yeah. Start? Yeah. Yeah, it's not just McKinnon either. I mean, I know Rantanen just lost his eight-game point streak in the last game, but the Avs have McKinnon and Rantanen both on pace for over 70 points. And it's been 12 years, I think it was, since the last time we had two players with 70 points. Yeah, and, you know, and, and Landy's, you know, he's not he, he's missed some games for silly reasons, of course, but um, he's also doing quite well. He and McKinnon are tied... For twentieth in the league, uh, with sixteen goals apiece. You know, this is a high-powered team. Um, we talked before the year about what stats we were most interested in following. I think this was a roundtable article. Jackie, do you remember what your stat was? Goals. Goals. Goals for. That's would, all I care about. <laughs> and he may be, he's ten points out. But what if I told you, okay, well, it, it, on January one, Nathan McKinnon will be in the top five of the Rocket Richard race. Yeah. Would you believe that? Yeah. No. (laughs) (laughs) Like, this dude is blowing up and showing out, and I'm here for it. I guess the question is right now, what are the realistic expectations? Because, I mean, I don't really think any of us expect him to finish fifth in the league in scoring, but what do we expect at this point? Because... It's not just a hot streak. I mean, he's playing well, and we know that that he's not going to continue. But then at the same time, this is kind of who Nathan McKinnon is. His talent level is finally starting to to yield results. Yeah, the talent's always been there. It's consistency now, right? Right, and having the team. It's, part of it's the team. Part of it's him. Part of it's having line mates part of it's having one of the best top lines in the league and it's all coming together for him so so should he is is 70 points it has to kind of be the expectation right now right i think i think a point per game is the expectation uh, yeah yeah i I think over 80 yeah maybe i mean maybe last year you talk about it being 70 but this year goals are coming in bunches yeah, I, I think 90s is definitely in the conversation. It's amazing what your top talent can do when they're not all secretly played with broken bones in their hands. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and you look at the, you know where the abs are as far as scoring. I mean, they're they're over three ga- three goals a game, and 
you know, there's really not, I mean, obviously scoring goes down, you know, fairly gradually from the beginning of the season to the end. So, you know, you're probably going to see that go a little bit lower, but you know, I, I think that the abs are on, you know, I, I think seeing 230, 240 goals is not out of the question. Right. Yeah. We're getting close to the midpoint of the season. So, so yeah, it's, it's certainly not, you know, we know it's not early, but it's, it's not even, we're, we're at a good sample size here. So yeah. So is, is this team and offense going to be a team that puts up top 10 in the league and goals for, I, I believe they're eighth or at least the last time I heard they were eighth in goals for Am I right about yeah. that? Or I'll go, I'll go look the the team that was on the ice last night absolutely can. The question yeah. is, can the depth score enough for that? Because I don't right. think there's like, any doubt our top six can do it. I don't want to be One, too, two, you know, three, four, five, six, burgundy seven, rainbow. Just you know, based on last night, and things are going well, and pucks are going in the net, and everyone's scoring, but. So you do you don't want to feel too good about you know kind of the recent events, but we are at near the half point of the season. They are they're tied for sixth in goals four with one two oh, three six. goals four, um, but they are eighth on the list for some reason. Even though alphabetically they would come first, they've played fewer games in Washington, so they should be higher than them on this list. I guess um, six goals last night does help the goals four ranking. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. With, Maybe without, goals aren't as important when they're in the mountain time zone. Maybe. Maybe <laughs> it's the altitude, guys. It's yeah. the altitude. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you have to boil water for longer and you have to score more goals. They have a whole <laughs> freezer that they keep pucks in to make them fly less. Yeah, that's how it works in baseball. <laughs> <laughs> like, one runs like half a run at altitude. <laughs> Yeah, this is weird. It's like it's it's like it's I've sorted it by goals for, but it's like the secondary sort is goals against, and I don't know why that would be. Yeah. Maybe it's points. Which is it that could be And funny. the goals the goals against have gotten slightly better recently because they they had a negative goal differential as early as last week and now they're positive. Colorado Six one games will do that. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, tenth worst in goals against. But it's so tightly yeah. packed. I mean, they have 120 against, and number five is 102 against. I mean, it's pretty tightly packed. I mean, I'm so not worried about goals against this year. Like, um, we knew going in that the bottom four of our defense was going to be a bit of an adventure with young guys playing and maybe not the greatest people in our top four sometimes. So. I think even more than that, it's, you know, the the staff, even though it's their second year with the team and basically second year in the league um, for both Pratt and Bednar, um, they didn't have much to work with. So they were very limited with what they could do as far as systems and tactics. So they're kind of learning what they can do as coaches um, with a little bit more talent. I, I, I think they can... You know, they can take a little bit more as far as an aggressive stance on defense as we go through the season if everyone keeps playing this way. If, you know, if Zadorov keeps playing excellent, excellent defense, um, if Sam Gerard keeps developing the way he has, 
um, you know, you're really going to have more options than maybe they thought they were going to have at the beginning of the year. You want some numbers on Sorov? I have them. Oh, have at it. Yeah, this is from the Mars Volchenkov. He tweeted this, and he also said it on the Burgundy Rainbow Discord, which you should join. Uh, Z is straight running over top flight centers right now. 76, I think this is Corsi numbers, 76% against Tavares, 60% against Matthews, who has one of the highest uh, XG ratios in the league. 60% against Kopitar, 75% against Crosby. Keep going. Yeah. I'm almost there. <laughs> Stop that. <laughs> my eye for defenders is not like it, it's it's pretty bad uh, who can help us explain what he's doing so well well for one he's getting minutes that helps and for two people know who he is now <laughs> if you watch mitch marner come up against him along the boards in the toronto game he just noped right out <laughs> when he saw zadorov coming for him like <laughs> yeah and also, I know it sounds stupid, but McNabb was saying something before the game last night that, that, that sort of makes a little bit of sense. Is when uh, Zadorov goes out there in his first couple of shifts and he, you know, he makes a big hit or you know, even just a good defensive play, the opponent knows that you know it's like that's not going to be an easy side of the rink to play on that night. And I, I think that gets Z going, and I think that sort of makes it a little more difficult on the opponent. So I, I think that's something that, you know, maybe it's a subtle effect or, or whatever, but I, I think that does help his numbers. He's I mean, shooting the puck a lot. That's That too, yeah. He's creating a lot of Corsi 4, which is helping his numbers. Well, in order to I think the, the fact puck, he has to have the puck. Yeah, I was going to say, I think having the puck is what's helping that. And, I, you know, he has quietly played very well on offense, too. He rang the post the other night. The night before that, he had a great pass. He's leading yeah, the rush, I mean, which confuses me, but yeah. We were talking about this before the show, but you know, with with whoever you know, with with Barry gone, you had sort of a <clears throat> a hole on the power play. Um, I was saying I liked Sam on the second power play because it was with the other young players, and they kind of uh, play in a similar way. But the the power play first unit with Mac and Miko and, and Landy and everybody that that sort of needed something different, and Eric Johnson really wasn't giving that and I, and I think Zadorov would have been a perfect guy to maybe slide into that instead of EJ once in a while and, and maybe even Barbario too yeah I agree um, with that I think with how well he's playing and how well he's shooting the puck especially that I definitely agree I, w- I would like to see him try it on that second yeah, part mind it. It now mm-hmm. but so that and he plays a lot of minutes so I can see maybe they're like all right you know that's something we're considering but let's see how he handles you know this this amount of time on ice that we're giving him and then you know if, if he once he becomes comfortable with that let's start giving a little power play time but you know I think that time is rapidly approaching or, or here so that, that subtle effect you're describing on Sidorov is it's not an important part of the game that we're just beginning to understand is so important that's zone entries like he, yeah. like he's disrupting the other team being able to bring the puck in with control, and that is massively important. It helps yeah. that he's playing with, with defenders who are a little bit quicker than him, and so when the puck gets dumped behind him, they can go retrieve it. Yeah, it, It's important that he plays with somebody who's got better foot speed than he has. Sure, but you know he's the one standing at the blue line that gives that guy the opportunity to retrieve it. 
Exactly. It's like it's it's a marriage that has to continue with him playing with guys like 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 Barry, like Gerard, and even like Eric Johnson, who's not slow. Mm-hmm. Not at all. And that's again, that's that goes back to tactics that the you know the defensive coach probably didn't have access to last year, and, and it's probably you know. He, the coach has to get used to saying like, all right, you know, we can do this. This is a tactic we can use consistently. Yeah. You know, we can stand someone up at the blue line and the, and the weak side guy is going to go and retrieve the puck. Yeah. Or, I mean, they didn't even have access to it at the beginning of this season. Cause yeah, we talked a lot about Zadorov not getting a lot of time, but he, it took him a while to earn that time this year. Like he had a slow start. We expected it, but he had a slow start. Yeah. It's nice to know that, he is what we thought he was once he got it together. Right. And he's someone that just thrives so much off of momentum. And it, it is kind of like that chicken or the egg thing. It's like he has to earn the minutes, but he's not going to look good until he has minutes. So at some point, just something has to give. And I think when he finally started getting a little bit more, he, he took it and he ran with it. And he's one of those guys that is just going to play better the more he plays. Because I think he he stops overthinking. He relies more on his instincts, and and I think that's how he's the most successful. I just wonder how much of it at the beginning of the year was conditioning related. I mean, it's it's so hard to come back from a major knee injury. Yeah, you knew that had to be some of it, especially with missing uh, so much of camp too. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad he's back, and I'm glad that the uh, the game he showed before he went down last season. Mm, starting to look a little bit less fluky. Yeah. So let's uh, let's talk about some other defensemen. Let's talk about some some defenders who are not in the NHL yet. Uh, Kale McCarr has three points at World Junior, two power play goals on eight shots. I looked this up just a minute ago. Four points. Yeah. <laughs> and Connor Timmins has two assists and has been playing big minutes for the Canadians. Like. I've, I've been pretty surprised with, with how much of a role Timmons has had. Uh, the Avs' deep prospects look good. Which have you been more enamored with? Timmons. I mean, Makar is super flashy, and he looks great. But Timmons has come out in this tournament and proved to me that he can play defense, which I was not completely convinced before. Yeah, and it, it's... It's incredible that, you know, I mean, I haven't seen him play that much with the Sioux, but he, the role that he plays there is different from what Team Canada has been asking Very him to do in this yeah. series. So it's it's really great to see the versatility he has that, you know, you can say like, all right, we need a shutdown guy. Can you do that? Sure. We need to score a bunch of goals. Can you do that? You know, we can make that happen for you, coach. <laughs> um, I completely agree with the, what you guys said, but I I would still say McCarr is the one that I've been impressed with. And obviously for different reasons, but... I mean, Makar is the one who's getting on the highlights. We'll put it that way. Makar is fun to watch. But I I think in a way, he had a lot more to prove, though. Like, people knew that Timmons was solid. He's putting up great numbers with the Sioux. You know, Makar is everyone wanted to know, what can this guy actually do? Like, can he... It, was it just because of the league he was in? He's not lighting it up in the NCAA. You know, we've talked about the team, the system, and everything. But people wanted to, to say, okay, he supposedly has the talent level 
of a top five pick. Let's see it. And I think he's proven that. Now, obviously, the next step for him is going to be the well-rounded game that will get him into the NHL. But I think as far as somebody having an having the most to prove, it was him. And like four points doesn't sound like a whole lot. He's second in defenseman scoring in in the World Juniors. With all the names that you've heard of, all the the superstar defense for Finland and this and that, the four points is second for the whole tournament yeah, for defensemen. Finland has been disappointing. Yeah. Which is kind of normal for Finland lately, which is too bad. I think another thing about Makar's performance is it, 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 in a very similar situation to Timmons, um, you know, he is the number one defenseman at UMass. He plays more you know, of an EJ role where you know, he sort of has to be the responsible party on a lot of the plays. So <clears throat> even though I'm not thrilled about his usage, Team Canada is giving him the opportunity to go out and just you know, be the offensive star. Um, you know, I, I'd rather see him play more minutes in, in well-rounded situations, but, you know, maybe it's fun for him to go out and, and play with people that can create plays and score and, you know, he can feed them the puck and they're not going to just not pass it back ever. Yeah, um, I, I think <laughs> Makar has a lot to prove to the people who don't get to see him play at UMass. Yeah. Um. But when you see that team play and you see Makar on it, it's Makar's on another level than the rest of that team. <laughs> yeah. It's just um. frustrating. I don't I don't know if it's his junior pedigree. I don't know if it's because he's in, in, in NCAA. I don't know if it's because he's with that team. And I don't know if it's because people expect Avalanche draft picks to flame out. But it just seems like people are chomping at the bit waiting for Makar to not be worth anything. And that's frustrating. So... Like I'm, I'm glad to see him come out and show that. Yeah, I, I belong in this conversation. It's just really frustrating. Also, when you, when you hear Bob McKenzie at the intermission saying, you know, he's just he, he's an offense only guy, and he's, you know, they they can't use him in, you know, every situation, and you know, he's there just to score, and you know, the other guys are going to carry the heavy load. When you know he's been carrying the heavy load all year at UMass, and he could slide into that role probably as well as just about anyone else on that defensive core for Team Canada. Um, Meanwhile, you have Jake Bean playing ridiculous minutes, but yeah, exactly. We'll get into that in the uh, <laughs> in the prospect monthly coming up at the end of the WJC. So there's my shameless plug. Yeah, um, but yeah, it, you know, it it just doesn't help McCarr's case when you have guys with the gravitas of Bob McKenzie just sort of saying he's one dimensional. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, I, yeah, I agree with that. But it's almost funny that he had to say that because so many people were saying, "Why isn't he playing more?" And yeah. it really is due to the politics. I mean, you have guys like Bean and Clegg; they are offensive types, but because they're returning players. They're treated like veterans, so it doesn't matter if they make mistakes, but yet they're so worried that Makar is. But it is, it's something that people can't figure out. I mean, even the media people are saying, why isn't he playing more? And I just yeah. thought it was funny that McKenzie even had to have like his little, like, okay, people have been saying this, you know, that we even have to say something about why he isn't playing more. It's not just us crazy Avs fans that are like, we want our snowflake to play more. It's like it's a legitimate question that people are having. 
Oh, you, when you've yeah. got signs showing up on the glass that say, dude, where's my car? <laughs> it's not just us. Yeah. No, I mean, it's like you see a guy that plays like that. I mean, I, I don't know why they're not playing him more because the guy's just, I mean, fantastic things happen when he's on the ice a lot of the time. And it's just, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I think anyone would be happy to watch him play a lot. And we saw how much his fellow Kale Clegg suffered when they split that pairing up. I mean, it was immediate. Yeah. So You know, and then part of that's Dante Fabro, who's, you know, he can't even make it through a whole period. Um, you know, there, there's lots of weird things going on with the usage there that no one's really talking about as far as Team Canada management and the coaching staff, but... You know, it is what it is. He's leading the defenseman on Team Canada in scoring. He looks good, and everyone on <clears throat> every Avs fan should be really happy with how he's performing at the World Juniors. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The, the t- he's proved that his talent level was legit. Yeah, and shout yeah. out to that sign maker um, for giving the, the podcast a title. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, you know, again, with, with both of those guys, with what they've shown us during this tournament, um, you know, there, there's, the Avs are going to have some interesting decisions at the end of the year, if they haven't made them already, about what, you know, when they're going to sign these guys and where they're going to play next year and what their options are and, and what the opportunities are. Yeah, they, they definitely both should be playing pro, I think. I think, uh, yeah. If if Makar is not quite ready for the NHL, that's okay. But I think the AHL would be a good spot for him. What people have to remember is both of these guys will be twenty next year, so we're not talking about young kind of guys on the younger end of things. Like twenty years old is a pretty appropriate age to play pro hockey. Yep. Yeah. There's there's how many nineteen year olds in the NHL? I mean, it doesn't help that we have a couple of them, but. And, I think and they said like seventeen years, teenagers or something this year. And and, and how many nineteen-year-old defensemen too? Exactly. Not very many. Sam's nineteen. Exactly. Well, he's somebody. I think he's somebody. I think we should touch on if we're ready to move on to that. Let's do it. Um. Well, I'm a big fan of Sam. I I think he does a lot of good things on the ice. I think um, you know. People like to fixate on the spin move and the flashy stuff he does, which is obviously a big part of who he is. But I think he's played solid defensively. He he was really good last night, and it wasn't just the power play points he put up. Um, you know, I'm st- I still would like to see him play more. I've still been a bit disappointed in, in kind of how much his minutes have been reduced, like... I understand that the 20 minutes was a bit maybe overreaching when he first came to the abs, but it wasn't just like two or three games. It was like 12 games. And then to kind of almost cut that in half was disappointing. But I, I like that they're kind of, it, it does seem like maybe they're trying to push his role up a little bit more. I don't think he should be relegated to really that third pair, but um, you know, I understand it's a process too. I don't really like him with Lindholm. Maybe he'd be better paired with Miranov if that's going to happen more. But I've been super happy with Sam. So how about you guys? Yeah, I think uh, you hit it right on the head with the defense. There have been a lot of comparisons because of size. Throwing out uh, Sam is a similar player to Barry. But if you watch him in a defensive zone, you know that's not the case. 
Yeah, Sam is incredibly smart. And not that, you know, I'm not calling Barry a dummy by any means, but, you know, Barry's decision making has definitely been one of his flaws throughout his whole career. And, and, and Sam's, you know, Sam really thinks the game very well. And, you know, I think ultimately that's going <clears> to, <throat> that's, that's what's going to make him sort of uh, a cut above maybe the, you know, the, the third or fourth defenseman. Um, that he sort of looks like he could be easily now. I think he can make it to the top pair just because of how smart he is and how quick he makes decisions and distributes the puck and everything. The uh, Someone mentioned this, and this may have been one of y'all, I don't actually remember, but someone mentioned this uh, during the uh, the game against the Islanders that Gerard's spin move is like, w- when you expect it, it's something that once he knows that other teams are expecting that spin move, he can now use that because there was a, a play against the Islanders where he kind of like shifted his weight like he was going to make the spin move and then just took another step and was gone. Yeah, no, I remember that. But oh, yeah, and it great. looked like he, he was going to take the puck behind the net and then he faked and then he went the other way. Like, you're just with the talent he has and his skating and. Just everything. I mean, he's just, yeah, the total package. And, exactly. and his ability to break the puck out is what the Ebs have really been missing for yes. so long. Yes. They, they've gone through so many defensemen where it's like, okay, we got the puck. I guess we'll just chip it up the boards now. <laughs> I've been kind of wondering, like, when he first came to the Avs, he was, he was breaking it out differently than what he does now. And I, I guess... I don't even know if maybe it's just me not noticing or not understanding systems, but do you guys feel that way or am I going crazy? Because it seemed like he was doing a lot of passes deep down into the zone, and now he's. They it seems like they want him to pat to go up the boards with the puck. I, I think that goes back to what what I was talking about earlier with the the defensive staff sort of broadening the horizons with the tactics that they use, and I think the. The breakout in general has sort of evolved over the past month or so. Um, you know, as we've seen, you know, if you look at sort of the the rolling Corsi four charts that that Sean Tierney does, you know, the Avs are on a, a heck of a run as far as increasing their shot differentials and their Corsi four and limiting their Corsi against. And I think the the breakout is part of it. And I think that's something that they've really worked on a lot over the past month or so. So I, I don't think it's something exactly that they've told Sam they want him to do different. I think they've told everyone they want to do something a little bit different, and that's part of it. Yeah, I, I think you said, you know, it's a everyone's learning, and the coaching staff is learning that they have some pretty highly skilled guys on the back end now, and they can use that. Yeah. But the... Uh, but I... No, finish, finish. Um, but I, I just, I think with... I think with Sam, he's. I, I think Sam still doesn't know exactly what he's capable of as far as you know what he can do on the breakout, and um, you know that's just you know it's a function of being his age. Um, but the fact that he can sort of play at this level now, and then you imagine what he can do in two or three years when he you know when he really has stock of what he can pull off down there. And that, I, I think Fabulous. he's he's someone that. <laughs> That also kind of he needs a little bit more minutes to kind of feel it and and use those offensive instincts he has because like you can see it when he's rolling you can see that he takes it up another notch. He does because because he definitely has a tendency to get too casual with the puck sometimes and as he gets 
more experience with like with what he is a- actually able to do and what when he has to use a different toolkit to get himself out of danger like you don't just you have, you have to play to figure that out and i think the more chances he gets to play and learn the less problems we're gonna have with him just being a little bit too casual with the bug because he doesn't have as much time as he thinks he has um but yeah, part of that is learning the players in the NHL as well. Right, exactly. I mean, there's some guys you're just like, you know, you're thinking like, oh, this guy's pretty slow. I can just, bl- whoa! <laughs> you know, it's like you really got to, you know, there's some guys you really have to watch out for. And, you know, that's something that's really difficult for rookies in the league that I, I don't think that people appreciate enough. Yeah, it's that adjustment from juniors to where you're going from being one of the best players in the league to now everyone's that fast, everyone's that good. You know, you can't just be casual anymore. Exactly. It's just, it's, it's, it was really encouraging to see him make that move and to see that, okay, it doesn't matter if everyone knows that he's the spin guy, that that's fine because he thinks the game at such a high level, at such a high rate of speed that he can use that to his advantage. If you, if he knows that, you know, that he's the spin guy. I'm getting into some Samurai Jack stuff here. Oh, I'm, I'm not trying to worry about whether I should drink the wine in front of you or the wine in front of me. <laughs> no, but I, I agree. That that shows a, the next level of thinking, right? When you can use what you've already done to your advantage. Exactly. It's just it's it's a subtle play and it's not a huge thing, but it it shows him thinking the next step. And he figured that out in about a month. So awesome. <laughs> He's a smart kid. I don't know, he didn't go to Harvard like Kerfoot. Well, there's somebody else who thinks the game at a high level, at a high rate of speed, like sometimes on a whole other level from his line mates. Like, yeah, beautiful pass right through the skates of a guy who was didn't realize how open he was. Damn it! Hey, getting Nemeth goals—that's that's like next that, level. That's stuff. a feat. Yeah. I, I think I that played like, last night on the Nemeth goal was fantastic because Sven was sure that puck was going to him, and I think the entire <laughs> Islanders defense is convinced of the same thing. Well, so you know, suddenly I. Nemeth's there with his, you know, with his puck, <laughs> with his stick in the air, ready to slam it in the goal. I was, convinced you know, that, that was, was very deceptive. And until someone on this podcast told me, no, Kerfoot was looking at at Nemeth the whole way. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I even yelled at the TV because it looked like ridiculous overpassing. I was like, I, oh my god, somebody shoot this puck. And then, oh look, there, there it's a goal. But yeah, when you look back on the replay, you see Kerfoot peeking his head over there. It's like, yeah. what a play that was. Oh, he he's, uh, has told us in interviews he doesn't ever think about shooting, which makes it kind of amazing. He's got 10 goals in his rookie season. How many of those are off his ass, though? <laughs> But I mean, this is a guy who actively hates to shoot, so... Yeah. So you're saying we shouldn't bank on 20 goals? He's getting 30. He's getting 30. 30's different from 20, so we'll have to see which one it comes down to. <laughs> no, Nobody will ever get 30 on the Avs, ever. The, the curse of it taking Duchesne eight years to get 30 goals... Uh, he got in trouble for it because he was too happy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what was that about? Oh man, what if uh, Landy and Mac both end up with twenty nine this year? That'd be hilarious. I'd, yes, it would. I, I would set Jibbles <laughs> on fire. <laughs> so next week looks tough. 
Uh, all games are at home. They're at Seven Mountain. They're on altitude. But they're against Winnipeg on Tuesday, Columbus on Thursday, and Minnesota on Saturday. After that, the Avs have their last bye week, and then apart from All-Star Weekend, it's fast and furious until April. So buckle in, your Avs are going to be busy. Also on Tuesday at 3.30 Eastern, Team Canada take on Switzerland in the knockout round of the World Junior. And at 8 Eastern, the U.S. are up against Russia. The winners play Thursday against probably Sweden and either Finland or the Czechs. Then your battle games will be on Friday. So Jets, Jackets, and Adjectives. What have you got this week? I think the Jets without shoe flies is a little bit easier, and we beat them last time. So I'm going to be optimistic and call two there. Okay. Uh, Columbus is rife with injuries, so let's put that as another two. Okay. And I'll decline on on Minnesota just because if I pick them to to lose, then maybe they'll win. So we'll call four. I'll go with three points. I I do also think that Columbus game would ordinarily be tough, but I think they've finally found the limit of how many injuries they can really sustain. Um, Is Bobrovsky hurt? No. That makes it a trap game. True. True, true. But, you know, you gotta, you gotta think they should be able to beat Minnesota on Haiti retirement night, but, you know. Well. Of, of course, yeah. think Things go the other way. There's just too much that could go wrong there. <laughs> yeah. I still am going to say three points. They'll, they'll manage to win one and find a point in another. I'm going to be a pessimist disguised as an optimist and say we get six points because <laughs> this is the time of year where we always make it into a playoff spot to get everyone's hopes up so we can crush them down the stretch. <laughs> This is some 40 chess Rudos playing here. <laughs> no, no, that's in February when they decide not to sell. <laughs> we need to have like the five-game win streak right around mid-February. Yeah. But then they're like, nah, we need Como. First wild card spot, two points out of the third place in the division. Yeah, that's where we need to get by mid-February. <laughs> <laughs> sell no one. I don't know. Jill, what do you think? Jill's looking at me. Jill's my dog. She only touched my hand one time. That's not good. Oof. Is that one point or one win? I think that's one win, so I'm going to join you guys with three points. You think so? Okay. Yeah, three points it is. <laughs> and then what are your predictions for the end of World Junior? Because the, the U.S. has a much tougher run to the gold medal game than Canada do. I think Canada will get to the gold medal game. I think. Yeah, I agree. Even though, even though I did, don't feel the greatest if they rematch with Finland, even though I agree Finland's been very overrated, I just don't like replaying the same team. But yeah. I think they're good enough to get there. And... Yeah, that's tough because for the U.S. to get there, they're going to have to beat Russia, then Sweden, then whoever on the other side. I I think Russia, actually, I'm going to say I think Russia will, will take it. They always underperform early and then kind of turn it on as they go. Sweden, 
is like the quintessential like second place team. <laughs> that seems rude. <laughs> they are though. They haven't even I think they lost the bronze game like three years in a row or something. So if they even get to the get into a medal, that's like an accomplishment for them. So I'll go Canada, I think. I mean despite Ducharme's efforts, every time the other team ties the score back up, my car's just gonna come out and score another goal, so maybe it'll count. So so I think it'll be Canada versus Russia in the gold medal game. That's my prediction. Yeah, I think the U.S. is... <clears throat> yeah, I think they'll beat Sweden. They, they just I, I think the U.S. is going to struggle big whatever. time. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, the, the defending champs have not fared well at the World Juniors for the, the past several years, so... I, I think somewhere before the medal rounds, they end up getting a, eliminated. Um, I think Canada makes it because they're probably going to have a fairly easy run. Um, I don't know. Yeah, well, why not? They win gold. <laughs> I, th I think it's going to be Canada and Sweden in the, in the gold medal game. Big, big prediction that the top teams from both groups are going to make it. I know. That's very bold. I, I <laughs> appreciate the accolades for that one. And uh, I don't know. I think Canada's going to do their typical world junior thing and choke it away. <laughs> Gold for Trey Cornor. Rasmus Dolan deeks Makar out of his pants for the game-winning goal. <laughs> and somehow the entire Canadian team will explode and it will be blamed around the country on goaltending. <laughs> no, they respect Carter Hart too much. <laughs> Who would the goat be? Ducharme <laughs> is the goat. <laughs> As usual, management and coaching. Probably having Fabro out there skating on one foot as yeah. Pedersen blows by him, but no, it's not going to be Sweden. They're overrated too. You heard it here first. So I don't know. My 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 dream finish is that Makar and Timmons are out there protecting a five four lead in the last minute against the US in the gold medal game, but Oh Makar we'll scores the the winning goal. Gold winning yeah. goal. Makar and Timmons both stick handle the puck into the net together and the <laughs> like, I don't know who to give it to. I guess that's just two goals. I mean, no, it'll probably be Timmons scoring the gold medal winning goal. Because... It would be Timmons, yeah. yeah. <laughs> For some reason, that guy just has storybook, like, just just written on him. He's got huge clutch per 60. <laughs> well, I've got pals bugging me pretty bad to go out to the bathroom, so I'm going to go ahead and cut us off right there. Um, no matter who ends up winning a World Junior, no matter how many points the Avs come back with this week, you know you can find out here and on the Prospect Podcast, which is that going to drop sometime like next weekend or following week? I think week? the 8th is what we're planning on. Okay, so A week from today? Oh, I think a week from today. Yeah. So during the bye week, okay. So we'll have another chance to hype that show next week. Um, you can always find out here. You can check out the show on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash burgundyradio. On Mixcloud at mixcloud.com slash burgundyradio. You can always find the show on iTunes 
and on your favorite podcatcher. And I'm going to get us on Google Podcasts or whatever that thing's called. I keep forgetting to do that, but that, that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, I got to do yes. that. Yeah. It's just, I, I'm like, yeah, I'll do that today. Boop, out of the head. Shows are always posted on burgundyrainbow.com where you can leave comments. You can yell at us about whatever you want, be it the sniffing noises or the audio quality or whatever. Whatever non-content thing you want to yell about. And you should definitely join us on the Burgundy Rainbow Discord and just chat about rubbish all day long. Keep your head up and get to the dirty areas and we will see you at the normal time next week. All right, don't pee in the house. I'll let you go. <laughs> like, I figured I'd write it up and it'd be like a couple hundred words and I'd be like, it's garbage. <laughs> and then 3,000 words later, I'm like, oh, Jesus, I'm still writing. You went all Andy on it. <laughs> um, you, you know how the steps of writing usually go. <laughs> yeah. Gator, you can't think of what to say or you're just like maybe I should stop now and then you write it all up and you're about to hit submit and you're like wait all of this is fucking stupid I hate every word I just wrote in fact I hate every word I've ever written (laughs) and then those are usually the best ones the ones you're proud of and then nobody says anything you're like oh okay Or you get like, I like one it. notice or something like, did you know that you used the wrong form of there in the third paragraph? <laughs> oh my god. You missed a comma. It's an Oxford comma. You need those. <laughs>